Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Stuart Weir in the UK and my guest analyst this week, Jalal Bounouar, who's in Morocco. And on this week's show, we focus on football in Morocco, one of the most successful nations in Africa at the moment. Morocco have teams in the upcoming finals of the CAF Champions League and the Confederation Cup. They played well at last year's World Cup, and Hakim Ziyech and Nasser Mazraoui have been shining for Ajax in the UEFA Champions League. Plus an interview with Nigeria striker Henry Onyakuru, who's in the Super Eagles squad for next month's Africa Cup of Nations. He tells us about his journey in football from Nigeria to Qatar to Belgium and to Turkey. It wasn't easy, you know, the stats. It wasn't easy because I came from um, a family which we struggled to, you know, for a deliberate. That's coming up, plus a look back at the incredible English Premier League title race. But first, the FIFA Under-20 World Cup starts next Thursday, the 23rd, in Poland and runs until the 15th of June. There are four African countries taking part. That's Nigeria, Mali, Senegal and South Africa. They qualified as the top four at the Under-20 Africa Cup of Nations in Niger in February. Mali were the champions there, beating Senegal in the final. Now, Ghana won the Under-20 World Cup in 2009. That's the only time that an African country has taken the title. Nigeria also finished runners-up twice, as have Nigeria. Now, we're talking about North African football on the show this week. There's lots happening in North Africa in the coming weeks. We have the first leg of the final of the CAF Confederation Cup on this Sunday, with Renaissance Burkhan of Morocco hosting Zamalek of Egypt in Burkhan in the northeast of Morocco. The following weekend, the second leg will be played in Cairo and the first leg of the final of the CAF Champions League is on that weekend as well. It's also an all-North African final as 2017 winners Widad Casablanca of Morocco played the first leg at home to the defending champions Esperance of Tunisia. And then, of course, the Africa Cup of Nations finals in Egypt starting on the 21st of next month. Well, I'm joined by Jalal Bounouar. He's a sports reporter based in Casablanca in Morocco. Well, we've been watching Morocco's Hakim Ziyech and Nasser Mazraoui playing for Ajax in the UEFA Champions League, flying the flag for Morocco. And at last year's World Cup, Morocco were the most impressive of the African nations. Also, they won the CHAN, the African Nations Championship, for home-based players only, as they hosted and won last year. So, Jalal, is Moroccan football at an all-time high? Yes, we can uh, talk about a big difference uh, between now and five to six years ago. Our clubs have won the Champions League, the Confederation Cup, the Super Cup. Uh, our national team qualified to the World Cup. We also won the Chan. Uh, to be honest, so many changes happened since the election of Mr. Fouzi Lakja as president of Morocco's Football Federation. The man is controlling and supervising everything. Even when there is a problem, for example, between a club in the Moroccan league and a player, you find him ready to help. He is trying to provide an endless support to Moroccan clubs who play the African championships and even the senior national team, uh, the team under 23, under 17. Uh, Mr. Lakja and uh, the federation 
are providing everything to help uh, Moroccan teams achieve positive results. Very interesting. So Fauzi Lecture, the president of the Morocco Football Federation, takes much of the credit. And I guess the people there are very hopeful that the Atlas Lions can win the Nations Cup, having taken it only once before, way back in 1976. Yes, here in Morocco, we think that if we don't win the African Cup of Nations title this edition, we will never win it. Currently, we have got one of the best coaches in Africa, Mr. Hervé Renard, who uh, 90% will leave the team after the championship in Egypt. Uh, Also, we have quality players who are performing well in, in Europe. Additionally, uh, Morocco's Football Federation and the Ministry of Sports here in Morocco are providing all what is needed to the team to bring a second African title to Morocco, uh, despite the presence of strong uh, teams, mainly uh, Senegal, Egypt, Nigeria, Algeria, Cameroon and more. So, uh, winning the African title and that's what we believe in here in Morocco. Uh, winning the African title means you need to be mentally, physically and tactically ready to play every match like it's uh, a final. Sure, so huge expectations of winning the Nations Cup there. And uh, Jalal, what do you think about the performance of Ziyech and uh, Mazrawi at uh, Ajax this season? Hakim Ziyech and Nusayr Mazrawi, and in fact, all Ajax players have amazed the world of football this season, uh, thanks to their beautiful style and uh, winning spirit of the team. Ziyech, in all competitions this season, has scored 22 goals and uh, has given uh, 15 assists. And we have all heard about the news that world-class clubs in Europe want to sign uh, Hakim Ziyech, including Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Liverpool, Arsenal, uh, Man United. Uh, And to be honest with you, playing in Africa has helped him become physically stronger. And now we have seen him doing great physical efforts in attack and also in the defence. Uh, concerning Nasser Mezrawi, uh, in his first season with the senior team of Ajax, he has always been lined up in the Champions League and in the local league. This shows his abilities and, uh, and hard work. Well, two great players. Let's look at the two upcoming club competition finals, the first leg of the CAF Confederation Cup on this Sunday there in Morocco, with Renaissance Burkane of Morocco hosting Zamalek of Egypt. Zamalek, much better known across Africa of the two teams. Uh, Tell us a bit about uh, Burkane and uh, who you see winning the final. It's a historical match for uh, Renaissance Burkane playing an African final for the first time in the club's history. In the last three years, they have become a strong team, mainly after winning the local cup here in Morocco, the Throne Cup, and reaching the quarter-final of the CAF Confederation Cup last year and the final this year. So, uh, they will face off Zamalek, one of the most experienced teams in Africa. And I think uh, both have equal chances, uh, 50-50.
Uh, so a close one then. And the CAF Champions League final is very high quality. The winners of the past two editions, that's 2017 champions Widad Casablanca of Morocco, are playing the first leg at home, uh, taking on the defending champions Esperance of Tunisia. Uh, so what are your thoughts there, Jalal? You know, both teams deserve to reach the final. Esperance want to defend their title. On the other hand, Widad Casablanca want to get revenge since the Tunisian team beat them in the 2011 Champions League final. Widad is lucky this time because they have got a Tunisian coach, Mr. Fozi Banzarti, who knows everything about the experience and the Tunisian football. But it's a little bit difficult for the champions of the 2017 edition because the second league match will be in Tunisia and you know how difficult to win a game there mainly if it's a final. However, if we did scores more goals in the first uh, league match, they can defend well in Tunisia uh, like they did against Mamelodi Sundowns in Pretoria. Yes, Widad Casablanca drew 0-0 in the second leg of the semi-finals in South Africa against Sundowns to win that semi-final 2-1 on aggregate. Many thanks there to Jalal Bonoua, a sports reporter based in Casablanca in Morocco, certainly one of the leading countries in African football right now. We're next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, to our interview with Nigeria striker Henry Onyekuro, who's been named in the Super Eagles Africa Cup of Nations squad, which will be captained by John Mikel Obi. Well, Onyekuru left Nigeria to join the Aspire Academy at the age of 13 and spent five years at the Doha base facility before joining UPenn in Belgium. In two seasons at the Belgian club, he scored 30 goals in 60 matches in all competitions before switching to English club Everton in June 2017. He was, though, immediately sent on loan to Anderlecht in Belgium. Now on his second loan outside of England, Onyekuru is at Turkish side Galatasaray, where he's continued with his impressive strike rate. While Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluwashina Okaleji spoke to Onyekuru and first asked about the journey of his career. It wasn't easy, you know, the start it wasn't easy because I came from um, a family which we struggled to, you know, for a deliberate. So coming up from that kind of family, where I grew up with my friends, you know, it was a very hard time for me going to training with legs, you know, trekking with my friends as well. But it's all motivation now, you know, when I look back and uh, look where I am at the moment, I give thanks and I want to push more, work more hard to get to the top. In Belgium, it's always a springboard for young African players. Not so many of them excelled or got from that journey into big time. How was that journey for you playing professionally in Belgium? Um, first, Aspire made it very easy for me because with Aspire, I spent five years there with them. And um, it's all about football and schooling. So after my five years contract with Aspire, the whole um, scholarship thing, they have this professional team in Belgium called Kasuipen. So the first um, direction to go after Aspire was to arrive in the club. If you can't arrive there, they will give you some trials elsewhere, like in Spain, somewhere else in Europe. But the first objective was to arrive in Kasuipen. So when I got there in 2015, um, they were still in second division there. It wasn't easy for me because I... I came there very young. I met some experienced players, you know, playing in La Liga before. Lives of Luis Garcia, the captain there, and um, I knew then I 
I still have a lot to learn because I just arrived in the club and they were still in second division. You can imagine the second division team trying to promote. They don't want to use the young player. So I was there for like six months without playing. I started playing after the X mass break of the season, you know. And um, I was lucky enough, I got my chance. I was working and I, the coach gave me a chance to play from um, number nine. He motivated me with the captain as well. And everything kept going good. I worked hard and we got promoted that season. So when we finally got to first division, the same coach moved me to the wing. That was when I started playing from the flank. And um, everything was just going fine, you know, scoring goals in Belgium for a smaller team like Eupen, it's 24 goals, so it attracts a lot of clubs and um, I was still head low, focusing on how to get to the top and I came out um, successful in the season there. I mean, at some point we had interest from several clubs, some on the pages of newspaper only and some you knew very well. I mean, young players, it's easy to get your head turned, to get your head twisted when you get offers from some top, top, top European clubs. How did you manage to deal with that pressure as well as the attention from top European clubs? Um, the management I work with helped me a lot. You know, They always want me to stay focused because I received such offers when I was in Kasupe as well. But I kept on playing and focusing on to end the season with the good um, stats, which I did. Um, I think the most important thing is just to focus on game and keep doing what you do best, scoring, working more hard and more clubs will come, you know, that's just it. Now you're an Everton player, you've played on loan elsewhere before, now you're in Galatasaray of Turkey. I'm pretty sure you hope to play in the Premier League someday. Yeah, that's my dream, you know, to play in Premier League even before I went to Kas Uypen. But it was just unfortunate I have to go to Kas Uypen first and I was very young. Um, the main goal was to arrive in Premier League. but. At the moment, I couldn't play there because of my working permit. That was why I went to Anderlecht first and um, stayed yet, didn't get the working permit. And I went to Galatasaray to get more exposure in the Champions League, in the part, you know, and which everything is going for at the moment. So hopefully, at the end of the season, I will get it. Talking about your faith, Henry, we've seen all over your body. I mean, you have Christ emblazoned on your, on, on your arm there. I mean, how much does faith play in your professional life as a Christian? Uh, the family I come from, we work with faith. I'm a Christian and um, we believe in God as well. So um, if you work hard or work more harder without having faith in what you do, I don't think you are going to get there. So everything flows together. You put God first before anything. Do you have favorite scriptures from the Bible, the ones you like? Yeah, from when I was a baby. I used to um, go through Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. What does it say? Uh, it says, um, if any man is in Christ, is a new being, all things have passed away and behold, uh, all things have become new. Well, that Bible verse again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. That's Henry Onyakuru, the Super Eagle striker, speaking to Planet Sport Football Africa's Aloashina Alkaleji. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programmes in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Well, now we turn to social media and on last week's show we focused on sports betting with a report from Kenya. This is something that's grown enormously in Africa over the past few years. In many countries it's possible to go to a betting shop or to place bets online on many sporting events and football is the most popular now, for some, this is harmless entertainment, but for many, sports betting becomes costly and an addictive habit. 
So we ask for your views on sports betting and if you've had any personal experience. On WhatsApp, Dan Ogega is in Kenya where we recorded our report. Uh, Dan says, I don't understand why they say that betting is addictive. Like alcohol, people are allowed to take it once they become adults. In Kenya and in other countries in Africa, these companies are sponsoring sports institutions which initially were languishing under financial constraints. Betting is just a business like any other industry, says Dan. Farida, also in Kenya, says betting companies here are harvesting, but there are only a few betting companies that help to nurture football talents. For instance, Sports Pesa is harvesting, but also doing a good job supporting local teams, says Farida. Lamine Cham is in the Republic of Congo. Paying a few winners more is bad in my religion, but in other aspects, betting can be good, says Lamine. In Congo, for example, many criminals pay absolute concentration on betting, which has drastically reduced the rate of looting and physical attacks on West African businessmen within Brazzaville and the second city, Pointe Noire. Interesting. Thanks for that, Lamine. James is in the Gambia and also in favour. I'm a sport better, says James, and in Africa, many of the youth don't have jobs. Moreover, sports betting is harmless, and it's a way to make money fast if you are lucky. Francisco Dodoma is in Malawi. Sports betting is now a common issue in most countries, including Malawi, says Francis, and my opinion is mixed. I've observed many people, especially youths, spending much of their time in betting shops instead of engaging in something that can benefit their lives and their country. While the chances of winning are there, I've noticed several people losing their properties and valuables in the name of betting, says Francisco. Lamine in the Gambia works for a betting company there. Sports betting has a lot of advantages and disadvantages too. I myself have played it before and now I'm working one of the betting companies here in the Gambia. For a lot of people in my country, betting has changed their life. Some of my friends who travel to Europe pay their bills through their betting wins, says Lamine. Here's a view from Uganda now. Arena Itwe Emi says here betting is a business that requires only a minimum bet of a thousand Ugandan shillings. Uh, that's 25 US cents. You can place a bet and they promise a bigger return. And this has led to many falling a victim to it, including me. I think betting companies should increase their staking fees to limit the number of people going for it. Essa Jane in the Gambia says, From my point of view, sports betting has both advantages and disadvantages. I hardly play, but I'm aware of its impact in my country. Advantages include the payment of tax to the government, providing employment, and for some to get an income through winning. On the other side, it promotes laziness among youths who take it as their day-to-day way of making money rather than working. Also, it's common among students, leading to many dropping out from school or dodging from school to go and place bets. My personal experience is that it's all about luck. You can be lucky and win more than what you spent, but it can be the other way around, whereby you'll spend thousands every day with the hope of winning a huge amount, which in most cases goes in vain, says Essa. Adama Barrow, also in the Gambia, is concerned about the effect on young people. It should be restricted from kids under the age of 21 because some of them skip school to go and place bets. It's crazy. The rules should be tightened, says Adama.
Lee Sise in Turkey says, I have no personal experience, but it seems addictive considering the frequent outings of my boys back in the Gambia to the betting outlets. Here's a view from Nigeria from Obina. Sports betting has come to stay in Africa. It's made some people millionaires while it's ruined a few others. It becomes addictive at some point, but it has to be played consciously. I had my doubts about sports betting until my colleague won 17 million naira, which is about $47,000. I'm good at football predictions, so friends will always come to seek my counsel before betting, although I didn't win when I played mine, says Obena. Lamine Jaite in the Gambia says, I even bet today, but I lost. Betting is not bad. We love it in the Gambia. Well, so many responses on this. So thanks to everyone who got in touch. And sorry if we didn't have time to read out yours. And to wrap it up, we'll finish with this voice note from Cherno Jallo in The Gambia. I consider betting as a vice for the society. I see betting uh, as uh, something not good for the society. And let's take Gambia, for example. Oh, it's like you see school children minors involved in betting. Uh, you'd spend long hours of the day uh, at betting centers. Uh, yes, uh, despite uh, betting companies going with the mantra bet responsibly, I believe people involved in betting take little or no heed uh, to such a uh, mantra. Furthermore, I don't see betting as good for the economy either. And betting is uh, bad for the society and for the economy at large. And it makes our youths lazy and increasing the crime rate and other stuff like that. Despite on the Philip side, you might argue that it creates uh, some employment opportunities. But uh, for me, I see it as more of a vice for the society than trying luck, if you, wish, you call it. Thanks there to Cherno Jallo. We're next here on Planet Sport Football Africa to the English Premier League as Manchester City won a gripping title race, finishing with 98 points, one ahead of Liverpool. Our European football expert Stuart Weir joins us from the UK. What a season it was, Stuart. Steve, this has just been the most exciting Premier League season for years and people are certainly justified in saying that Liverpool are the best team not to win the league for some time. And to get 97 points and finish second, you've got to feel a bit unlucky. And in fact, Liverpool's points total would have won the league 117 of the 120 years that the league has existed. In a way, it all came down to that game after Christmas when City beat Liverpool 2-1, with City scoring with a shot that went in off the post, while at the other end, Sadio Mane's shot hit the inside of the post and stayed out. Could have made all the difference. Chelsea finished third, an excellent first season for Maurizio Sarri. And frankly, at Christmas, you wouldn't have given Chelsea much chance of a top four finish or Sarri much chance of still being in the job. So well done him. Maurizio Pochettino's Tottenham were fourth after looking at one stage as if they could challenge for the title. But then since February, they've lost seven Premier League games and that really was their downfall. Manchester City have still got the FA Cup final to come, but they're actually under a cloud at the moment because there are persistent rumours that UEFA are considering banning them from European football for a year because of financial irregularities. They have been accused of manipulating sponsorship income in their accounts. There's an accusation of a $250,000 payment to the family of a 14-year-old to persuade him to sign for City. 
and that they've signed up to eight players from abroad under the age of 18 with some issues of third-party ownership. Of course, this is all just speculation and we await any formal announcements. At the bottom of the table, Cardiff City and Fulham were relegated after just one season and Huddersfield after two seasons, which again just shows how difficult it is for promoted clubs. Two of the three clubs were promoted into the Premier League uh, last season went straight down again. But what a performance by Wolves, the third of the promoted clubs, to finish seventh and even reach the FA Cup semi-final. Now, three clubs relegated, and we know that Norwich City and Sheffield United will replace two of them, along with the winners of the playoff final between Derby County and Aston Villa, which is uh, a week on Monday. Yes, that will be a very big game. And the golden boot for the top scorer was a three-way tie between three Africans on 22 goals. What a remarkable achievement for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Mo Salah and Sadio Mane. All of them scoring more than 20 goals in a Premier League season. And, you know, I would particularly applaud Sadio Mane because when he said at the beginning of the season he was going to score more goals than Salah, this season, did anyone take him seriously? And he's got the same number. And if you're actually looking for a way to split the three, you could argue that Mane, who scored all his goals from open play, has achieved more than the other two, who were penalty takers for their clubs. Yes, uh, good point. Uh, So we're not quite done. There's Liverpool taking on Tottenham in the UEFA Champions League final in two weeks' time. Europa League final to look forward to as well. And this weekend, Man City taking on Watford in the FA Cup final. Uh, Yes, Steve, what a great end to the season with four English Premier League clubs in the finals of the Champions League and the Europa League. English football is on a high. And of course, Steve, when I say English football, I am referring to the four clubs managed by a German, a Spaniard, an Argentinian and an Italian. But of course, I imagine all the players are English. Well, let's look who scored the goals that took them through. Liverpool's four goals were scored by two Dutch players and two Belgians. Well, Tottenham, a Brazilian, scored all three goals for them. And then for Arsenal, uh, Aubameyang from Gabon scored three of their goals and a French player got the fourth. But hey, Loftus Cheek for Chelsea did score in the semi-finals of the Europa League. Finally, an English player. But seriously, it just shows what a cosmopolitan league this is. And I can't wait to see who will win the Champions League and the Europa League. Fascinating to see the English clubs in it. Sure. And a quick word about Manchester United, Stuart. A very poor ending to the season under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who started so well as manager. But uh, what does this mean for next season? Well, there are so many things to say about Manchester United. Was the decision to give the job to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer before the end of the season? Was it made too early? Would Manchester United have been better to wait? And How on earth did Solskjaer transform Manchester United into a team that won their first eight games in a row, but then somehow seemed unable to do anything as they lost five of their last nine league games? And I mean, that included Cardiff City. Then there's the view that the Glazer family's CEO, Edward Woodward, has too much power and influence on football matters. Manchester United's transfer activity has been poor. Is this due to Woodward's failure to appoint a director of football to take responsibility for transfer decisions? And I've actually read articles suggesting that Manchester United should keep David De Gea 
and Marcus Rashford and frankly not worry if all other first-team players go. Recent figures show that Manchester United have been paying the highest average salary in the Premier League this season. Average salary of $8.3 million per player. And that's even more than Manchester City. Incidentally, Cardiff City has the lowest at 1.2 million average per player. United have also had the most unsettled team in the season, making 131 changes from match to match. At the other end of the spectrum, Burnley, of course, with a much smaller squad, have only made 49 changes. So where does that leave us? I think we're going to see a lot of players leaving Manchester United this summer and a lot of players coming in. But I mean, already Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is saying that a realistic target for next year is to finish in the top four. And remember that they went into this season having finished second under Jose Mourinho last season. Just so much seems to have gone wrong and it's difficult to explain it. Goodness, so maybe Mourinho wasn't that bad after all. Uh, Thanks a lot, Stuart. Asking for your thoughts on this on social media this week. What do Manchester United need to do ahead of next season? Give us your thoughts on Facebook. That's on Planet Sport Football Africa. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks so much for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.